No team goes into the season without a game plan. And Buffalo Wild Wings knows that football fans need a game plan that's built for game day glory. A game plan that should include 21 signature sauces and seasonings, a great lineup of beer taps, and an arsenal of wall-to-wall TVs. All those details make for a game day plan that can't be beat. So, win or lose, if you're a football fan, you still win at having the best game day atmosphere around. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. We do it for you because you're a football fan. to the Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at The Ringer. Joining me on the other line, Danny Kelly. Danny, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm good, man. We're here. This is we're happening. There. This is we're, <laughs> it's a little different than normal. We're doing this on Wednesday as opposed to Friday just because it's a big week, so we're trying to jam-pack it with shit. But this is our deep dive freaking Super Bowl preview, nitty-gritty all the way, let's nerd the fuck out show. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is the this is like the perfect matchup too in terms of just two great strategic, you know, coaching staffs. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's exactly what you'd want as somebody who loves matchup porn and guys going against each other matchup and porn. coaches exploiting coaches and everything else. So we're going to be welcomed by Mike Lombardi a little bit later. Our newest addition to the Ringer team, which is extremely exciting, and I yeah, could not be looking awesome. more forward to talking football with him. But first, it's me and you, buddy. Old staples. We're going to do this how we've always done it. (laughs) So, you know, again, like you said, there really is no better matchup for teams that are so good at finding what another team's deficiency is and really exploiting it. And if you look at it on offense, especially with both of these offenses, you have two groups that just have such a varied collection of talent. New England loves just using formations as a way to get teams in the personnel packages they want them in. You know, they'll, they'll go big yeah. to throw the ball. They'll use their backs in every single way. And if you look at Atlanta, it's the same kind of deal. You know, I wrote about Kyle Shanahan this week for the ringer and I looked at the Green Bay game and it took them 27 plays to use the same formation twice. Oh my that, God. And that's just what you're looking at with this team. It, it 20, 27 plays in 22 minutes of game time to use the same formation again. And that includes some motions and everything else. But both of these teams love coming out with 11 guys in the huddle, having another team guess what it's going to look like when they line up and having that team be completely wrong. Well, I mean, like if you, that, that is such a great point too, because I mean, as a defender, you're taught to look for tendencies and and habits in the other team, you know? So like when they come out in in a certain formation down in distance, then that's like, you're supposed to connect those together and kind of know what they're doing. But 27 straight different formations, like imagine having to memorize like what that means in any given situation. Like there's just so many permutations. And I think that's why they're so just impossible to predict. So before we get into kind of our individual segments that we've been doing, Danny, uh, when you say that this is the matchup you most wanted to see, what is the reason? I mean, what are the specific matchups that you think you're most interested in looking at? I think the the thing that's most interesting to me about both teams really is how they use their running backs in the yeah. passing game. You know, it's just they can do so many different things with the fact that they've got these guys that can both run the ball effectively. You know, th- they're good running backs, which is key. And then they also have the ability to go and, and like motion out to the wing, exploit you know matchups out there as as de facto like receivers. And both teams have guys like that. And so I think to me that's just exciting. You know, it, it's all part of sort of the chess match. It, it's how are they going to do this? How are they going to get you know the defense into the the personnel that they want and, and then exploit it? So I think to me, just 
that ability for both teams to do that at such a high level is so cool. I totally agree. And so uh, let's use that as a way to jump off to one of our first stats of note that I wanted to throw out there. So 22.06%, that is the target share given to the Atlanta's running backs this year. It was the sixth highest in the league. So mm-hmm. almost a quarter of Atlanta's passes go to running backs, which is wow. a ton. Yeah, I mean, just crazy. think about that. So but the, what I'm looking at most with Atlanta and how they use those guys isn't just they throw it to them a lot. It's the ways they throw it to the ways they throw it to them and the places they line up before they do. Mm-hmm. So going back and watching a lot of Patriots games over the last couple of days or so, you don't see that many teams use running backs as wide receivers against the Patriots. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because Belichick's really good at snuffing that stuff out. I didn't see it pop up that often. And that's mm-hmm. what you're gonna see with Atlanta. So I feel like one of the things Atlanta has to kind of measure and come between here is do we want to use a lot of four wide or empty sets where we motion Freeman and Coleman out in order to get the Patriots in situations they're not used to while sacrificing our ability to run the ball because Atlanta wants to run to throw. They want to use play action, all that kind of stuff. And if you motion those guys out, if you use a lot of shotgun, you lose that ability to have that outside zone look be the basis of your offense to get to your passing game. So I think them trying to split the difference of those two ideas of let's make sure we get a ton of receivers on the field to keep New England's linebackers in coverage and really make them chase the Coleman's and the Freeman's while not sacrificing our ability to be who we are, which is an outside zone running team that likes throwing play action off of that. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's exactly what it's all about. I, I think, um, you know, I brought in a couple of stats that I found interesting and, and they all, I mean, a, a big chunk of them relate to the play action game for, for the Falcons. And I think, like you said, that's where it starts for them. That's what they want to do. They want to run the ball, make, you know, New England's two, you know, two deep safeties creep up into the box, start anticipating the run and then throw it over their head. And so um, I saw that 44% of the times the Falcons, through the ball this year uh that was in non three wide reset so like two two backs or two tight ends so almost See? half the time yep almost half the time they're throwing it was from their quote run sets you know and so and that's a stat from espn's mike clay and i i just think that kind of tells the story of the falcons offense a little bit and, and the fact that they're not like a three wide like spread them out typical type team i think they really like to you know get heavy Use their tight ends, use that fullback, and you know set set up tight, uh, set up play action for for you know either either run or set up their play action for deep shots. I totally agree, but it's interesting. I, I bet that stat doesn't account for how many times two tight ends were in the game and lined up in weird spots. Right. So I think that's no, what you're going to see a lot of. I feel like you're going to see a lot of Hooper lined up out wide and you know Taylor Gabriel inside in the slot and trying to move guys around. That's what they do extremely well. Obviously, the Patriots are absurdly well coached. They're going to be ready for all of those things. But I'll be curious to see how much Atlanta tries to line up with DeMarco, with Freeman, with maybe one or two tight ends, but then spread them out after they get there. That's yeah. going to be something interesting to watch for me. I don't know what the answer is. I honestly think we could see a lot of Coleman and Freeman in the game at the same time in order to yeah, give yourself the matchup problems while still giving you a chance to run the ball. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if we kind of get they get kind of weird and, and do yeah. new stuff that we haven't really seen a lot. Um, you know, Coleman is you know a de facto receiver i mean we saw what he did against the broncos that was kind of to me like that was kind of his you know coming out game like yeah 
you're like, whoa, this guy can do some shit in the passing game. I mean, we already kind of knew it, but that was like, wow. And so I keep thinking about that game. And, I mean, you know, that's a very, very disciplined. The, the Broncos are one of the best, if not the best, pass defenses in the NFL, and they were able to shred them using their running backs. And so I kind of look at this game like that in, in the sense that I think the Patriots are very disciplined. They're a very good pass defense, have some, you know, very high-quality guys. And I wrote about this week that, you know, they're very versatile. They can they can play the run, and they can def- and, and they can cover. And that is huge against a team like the Falcons who, you know, like, like we talked about, like to set up, set up their play action game through the run. So you have to have guys on the defense that can do both. And the Patriots have those guys. So I think just in matchups, like, like we talked about earlier, I mean, this is like matchup porn or whatever. This is, I mean, like this is the defense. I think that's built to play an offense like this. And so they have they might have actual chance to stop kind of what has been an unstoppable offense for for months now i totally agree and just coming moving forward seven coleman's my hero of the day for the falcons i just think that he needs to have a huge game and it's for a couple different reasons it's that he needs to be a factor in the passing game like we're talking about but also thinking about the running game you know freeman's such a good inside runner and when they run some inside zone stuff his vision is fantastic but when you watch the outside zone really stretch it out plays they run coleman's really dangerous at those and Mm -hmm. he run they use those a lot in second down and like middle and long with coleman more than they do with freeman if you look at coleman's carry kind of spread the trajectory of his Mm -hmm. carries about one-tenth of coleman's carries came on second to middle and long you know traditional passing downs Freeman, it's not even almost like that. It's about 150 on first and 10, and then it's spread out kind of equally after that. So I think they like using Coleman in when they think they're going to pass and in spots yeah. where they it, they catch people off guard. And then when right. you look at how the well the Patriots defended the run last week against the Steelers, it's allowing Branch especially to just post up and control guys. But if you're running those outside zone plays with Coleman, it's the opposite of that. You're really getting guys on the move. You're making those big guys for the Patriots cover a ton of ground. And I think that we haven't seen them try. We haven't seen them have to defend an offense like that, that moves laterally to this degree like the Falcons do. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the, the idea of that wide zone is you want the defense to either one, not flow towards the sideline enough and then bounce it outside and get downfield or two, like overcompensate and get too far down the down like the line of scrimmage or whatever and then cut it back so yep i mean i I just picture you know watching the seahawks run the ball it's the same sort of idea it's like you you want those all those linemen get to get all bunched up and lose their gaps because they're moving so fast down the line that's that's the whole key to the zone blocking game is you know, like all the all the defensive linemen kind of get <clears throat> bunched up and run into each other and and get held up and all this, and so it, it totally destroys any gap integrity. And so, um, yeah, if they can do that and, and run the ball, I think that's going to be huge for them because the Patriots have been really really good at making teams one dimensional. I mean, we saw them. You know, it was like fifty four yards for the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. I, they basically shut down that run game. Even you know, Le'Veon Bell was out, but you know, D'Angelo Williams is a really good running back too. So. That was very, very impressive, and it, I don't know if they'll be able to do that to the Falcons. Yeah, I totally agree, and the Falcons run that really weird toss outside zone play, too, with Freeman mm-hmm. that really gets guys on the move. I could see that three or four times. They ran it twice against the Packers. I, I feel like that could be a huge staple of what they're doing. 
Yeah, the toss sweep is awesome. And, and I mean, they have uh, athletic offensive linemen that can kind of get out there and get yep. on the move. Um, they've got good blocking uh, receivers, too, which is a key. I mean, Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu are both, you know, big guys that, that can kind of seal guys downfield. And, and on the toss, you know, toss sweep or whatever, that's key because you're getting you're getting your running back out there against corners and, and you know, outside linebackers. And so, yeah, I mean, that's huge. I love that play. Um, I think, yeah, the run game to me, and, and this is kind of my hero of the game kind of relates to the run game, but it's a little different. It's. I have Taylor Gabriel and again it's it's it goes back to the play action game and I, I had this stat here the the Falcons ran play action more than any other team 27% of their snaps Ryan fin- Matt That's Ryan finished the year. yeah isn't that crazy he finished the year with 1600 yards and 11.3 yards per attempt on play action with nine touchdowns and I mean again it's kind of what we've been saying and it's like you establish that run and i know that established run is kind of a cliche but i think they actually have to do that and get the patriots to really commit to stopping that by maybe bringing another guy into the box or whatever and then you know just have gabriel one-on-one on the outside or up the middle and you know able to get deep past the defense i think that could be killer and i mean you you tweeted out a really cool i mean it was in your shanahan story too but the 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 play with the, I think it was Hooper who leaked out. Yeah, the backside, th- yeah, the throwback to the tight end coming backside on the wheel. Yeah, they do so many cool things with their tight ends too. Yeah. Um, but I think in, in play action, I think that Gabriel is going to be key just because he has the speed to get downfield and, you know, just kind of exploit defenses that are, are thinking it's a run coming. And and that's the thing with the Falcons, right? The reason that they're the best offense in the league is that you have to defend everything. You have to be worried right. about everything. They're a good running team. It's not just that Matt Ryan's the MVP. So if you, and I think what the Patriots are going to do, I legitimately do, I feel like they're going to play a lot of too high and say, we're going to make you beat us with the running game. We're going to make you run us over because teams have not forced you to do that. We're going to make you out physical us. And that's what the yeah. Falcons have to do. They have to start pushing them around. And if the Patriots do go to one high, something like that, then you're going to see the Gabriel stuff. But that's the thing mm-hmm. with the Patriots is that you know how many forty plus yard passes the Patriots gave up this season. <laughs> how many? Five. Oh man! On the season, great. five. The Falcons <laughs> had seventeen, which led the league. Wow. So the Falcons, I mean, the Falcons are good for one of those a game, and that's the key. Can you limit one of those? Can you take that one away? Can you make sure yeah. the Falcons don't have that game swinging play? And really, no team is better set up to do that than New England. We'll get into the nitty gritty. Who's going to cover who? When I talk to Mike a little bit later, but just mm-hmm. from a a thought process perspective and what we're trying to take away. New England is always going with that. How they do it, we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a huge stat. I love that stat. That's kind of like um, I, I've seen people talk about it. Pete Carroll's talked about it. I've heard other coaches talk about how explosive plays are related to scoring points and how there's a strong, strong correlation on yep. if you get an explosive play on any given drive the odds of scoring on that drive, you know, jump exponentially. And for whatever reason, I mean, obviously you move the ball down the field, but there's also sort of, I think like an emotional attachment to it. Like there's a fatigue. There's a, you get, I mean, you get decimated emotionally as a defender. It's just like, man, we give up a monster and then they're going to come back. I mean, that's not surprising at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, that's a, that's a really great stat. Only five deep throw. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. So, um, I, th- I think I'm with you on that, though. I think that they're going to play that too high and, 
you know, so early on in the game, we'll, we'll see. Like, if the Falcons can't run the ball, then I think the Patriots are are in a good, good position. But if they start running ball, to me, that's where you're like, okay, so now what do they do? Now what are the Patriots going to do? And on the other side, I think we haven't talked about the Patriots offense at all. And I think we probably should. I think the running game is going to be a big part of that, too. If I'm building a mm-hmm. hero of the day for New England, it's LeGarrette Blunt. Yeah. I just think that when you watch the when the games they played against Seattle, I went back and watched the Super Bowl. Obviously, the team like the, the Seahawks under Dan Quinn and these Falcons are not a one to one comparison. Like we need to no. understand that. But there's going to be a lot of similar principles, and I feel like when you watch, we'll get into this in a second. But when those Patriots teams played those Quinn Seattle teams, they were more than content to line up with six offensive linemen in heavy sets and just run it. They mm-hmm. ran the ball with LeGarrette Blount a lot, both this year and in the Super Bowl. So I think that we're going to see that. I, I We talked about this before. I feel like with how small Atlanta's defense is, how bad they've been against the run over the second half of the season especially, <laughs> New England is going to be more than content to say, we're going to get five, six yards a pop, whether it's Lewis, Blunt, whatever, and make you stop us in that regard. Yeah. I was looking at the Patriots schedule. I actually almost picked Blunt too for my hero of the day for the Patriots. But um, I was looking at the Patriots schedule. They haven't played a four-three, like a true four-three defense in a while. That's really um, interesting. If you look at their, if you look at their opponents, there's the Steelers, the Texans, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Broncos, Ravens, and then you get into the Rams. I don't know the Dolphins. I guess kind of run a four-three. Yeah, they do. I mean, yeah. it's like all everybody's hybrid at this point, so it doesn't really matter. But like, they're in those looks a lot, though. Yeah. Um, and so you, I mean, you get back all the way to the Seahawks game, which was in Week Ten, and there's like maybe two, like you know, one gapping four threes in there. And so, I mean, it's going to be uh, that to me is an interesting matchup, just because you know, it's just a different dynamic to run against a, a four front versus a three front or, or a two gapping front versus a one gapping front. You know, so. I think that's going to be really interesting. I thought that's why Blunt was so key as well, because I, I agree with you. I think they're probably going to go heavy in, in a lot of situations. Um, you know, when they played the Seahawks, Blunt had three touchdowns. Yeah. So, you know, if he gets if he gets going, especially in, like deep in the red zone and and you know punches the ball in a couple of times, like that could really put the put the you know put the Patriots in a great situation to kind of like just control the game. Totally. Um, and so. the other couple things I took from watching the Seahawks games again. One, if you think that the Falcons are going to come up and play cover three this entire game and just be their normal Dan Quinn defense, you're kidding yourself. But there's absolutely <laughs> right. no chance that they do that. They didn't do that when he was in Seattle, and they didn't even do that last week against Green Bay. They've shown a willingness to be flexible because that's what good coaches do, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> and two, if you see them blitz three times all game, I'll be shocked. Yeah. Shocked. Yeah, <laughs> he, he I, I saw in that Super Bowl then blitz Brady twice. They just don't want to yeah. do that. And I understand those Seahawks fronts are different than this Atlanta front, but they know he knows, especially if you blitz Brady, you're done. You're cooked. He's not going to do that. They're going to cut. They're to come with four. I think they're going to be creative in the ways they come with four, but they're going to come with four knowing they're going to be playing against a four man front and a healthier amount of man than we typically see from Atlanta. I think you're going to see some cool stuff on the outside with Edelman. You're going to see some stacks. You're going to see some plays designed to beat man coverage in a mm-hmm. way we don't normally see against the Falcons because they don't play like that. Getting Edelman in space against the guy like Jalen Collins is a win for the Patriots, and I think you're going to see it a ton. Yeah, that's a great point. That's really, really interesting. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that's going to be an, it's another really, really interesting thing to watch early on in the game. It's like, what what are the Falcons doing on defense? My my hero of the day for the for the Patriots is really out of left field, and I may end up looking really dumb on this, but I went with, and this is kind of a cop out because you know we've seen Malcolm Mitchell and Michael Floyd both be inactive in one in one of each of the Patriots playoff games so far, so I kind of combined them. So Malcolm Floyd, um, who is also an NFL player, <laughs> Malcolm Mitchell. The okay, I'll go with the combination of Michael Malcolm Mitchell and Michael Floyd. One of those guys I think could have a big game. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, the Falcons had struggled this year against teams number three receivers, and that's they weren't they're were 29th in DVOA this year against number three receivers. They did a pretty good job, a decent job against one and twos. Um, that's slot guys, though, right? Isn't that the thing? Like they struggle against guys in the slot more than anything else. Yeah, and so so I think if you line Edelman up in the slot, I think that could be the problem. I think yeah, it, it kind of it, it's there's some. Um, I don't know how they track it. Football outsiders. I said there's some, you know, it's not a perfect science in terms of yeah. how they designate people one, two, or three. Um, but the re- the other reason I said th- like these guys could have a big game is just because when you force a team and it, it'd be in three receiver sets. So yeah, whoever they have in the slot would be key. But I think when you force the Falcons to play nickel and they've played nickel i think about 70 percent of the time this year and that's what uh dan quinn said this week um you have like six guys that are in their first or second season and so it's it's on the field for them so it's they're very inexperienced i mean they're very fast very athletic you know run around and hit hard but they're very inexperienced in it and against tom brady and you know belichick and like you know offensive masterminds like those two guys like that is what kind of worries me and so when i look at you know they're they're when they spread it out a little bit get you know obviously edelman's out there but then they get other guys like mitchell and floyd i could see them kind of factoring in more than more than we might expect i agree with you in some way but i also think that by putting their big heavy sets out there and like bringing paul warlow into the game you know that's what they don't want to do i feel like they're the falcons are most comfortable in nickel they want to be small they want to be fast when you make them go to the guys they don't play normally i think that's where they're going to be uncomfortable so if you can get an extra linebacker on the field bring neil down that's why i think hogan could have a huge game if you got hogan working against alford on the right side the entire game without safety help that just seems like it's a win for new england I just think there are a lot of ways they can attack the Falcons in ways other teams have not. And it's just by being that team that has the big bodies to go at them. Man. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think this is why it's so exciting is because exactly like 17 things we can talk about. (laughs) I can't argue with your logic there. I mean, I had this, I had my argument kind of out and like played out in my head and I was like, Oh, that makes sense. But, but you're definitely making sense as well. I think there's just a lot of different things that, you know, just a lot of different, I guess, strategies that teams could use. And I mean, that's just what makes this so much fun. And before we get out of here, I definitely want to chat about long shot MVPs, which you wrote about for the ringer today. <laughs> it's my favorite conversation every year with the Super Bowl. I still am bitter that Cam Chancellor did not win it in that Broncos Super Bowl because he absolutely should have. And I picked him before the game and I'm still mad about oh, it. Well, I actually I wrote that. Well, I kind of if you haven't read my article, it's basically talking about how Malcolm Smith was the Super Bowl. Yes. I, mean, I mean, like he was like a rotational weak side linebacker. I mean, he got benched for part of that year just because yep. he was like really terrible. And then he ended up being the Super Bowl MVP. And I totally agree with you. I actually wrote originally like 
Cam Chancellor should have been it, but then I kind of just like deleted it. I think we moved on from. But I mean, I mean, that's we were, correct. We should remind everyone <laughs> at every single turn that Cam Chancellor should have been the MVP that year. It's absolutely true. I mean, if you look at this, is kind of getting off track. But if you look at the huge hit he laid yep. on Demarius Thomas, he had an interception. I mean, he just set the tone for that defense. He didn't allow the Broncos to do those crossing things that they love to do in on the in the middle of the field. And so yeah, to me, he was the MVP by far. But whatever. So the yeah, the point is though that you can get some weird ass MVPs going like just if especially with two teams whose offenses are you know so so diverse and and rely on different guys every week I mean that was another reason I kind of picked Malcolm Mitchell and Michael Floyd is like I mean how many people saw Chris Hogan having like 180 yards and two touchdowns last week or you know I mean, I guess we kind of saw the Deion Lewis thing coming, but three touchdowns after he hadn't even scored a touchdown in the year. So every week is like something different, and the Falcons are exactly the same. So I think it really could be anybody this week. The guys I like, just in terms of long shots, I mean, obviously, this is going to be offense-heavy Super Bowl. I think in a way that eliminates receivers, because the guys throwing them the ball are going to have better stats. If Julio has 180 and two scores, there's a good chance Matt Ryan is 320 and three scores. They're going to give right. it to Matt Ryan. You right. know, that's tough. So I think the guys worth looking at, running backs, if it's run-heavy for New England especially. I mm-hmm. think that Deion Lewis at 33... Uh, sorry... Dan Lewis at 33 to one is really interesting to me. I think that that's the one out that jumps out. He has better odds than Blount. And I think you could see when I say that Blount's my hero of the day, it could easily be Lewis. They run the same plays. So if they want to pound it, right. it could be Lewis and you get Lewis in the passing game. The one that is my favorite that just makes no sense to me is Deion Jones at 150 to one. He has the same <laughs> odds as Austin Hooper. And, and let me, there let me go. lay this out for you. Deion Jones has two pick sixes this year, almost has a third one. He <laughs> broke up 11 passes in the regular season. He's around the ball more than any linebacker in the league. One thing we haven't talked about with the way that the Patriots have attacked Quinn Seattle-esque defenses in the past, Shane Vereen had 11 targets in the Super Bowl when they played. He did it in a, lot of, in a variety of ways. It just wasn't just angle routes and stuff in man coverage. Mm-hmm. They tried to attack the flats against cover three a little bit with him. But either way, they've thrown the ball to running backs a lot when they played these sorts of defenses. That means Deion Jones is going to be around the ball a lot. For a guy that's that fast and plays that much and is that much of a part of this game plan, the fact that he has the same odds as Austin Hooper and worse odds than Mike, Malcolm Mitchell make no sense. <laughs> that's a really good point. Okay, so I'm going, I like that one, and I'm going to go with a weird one, too. And I'm going with Mohamed Sanu. Right now, he's, you know, plus 4,000. Is that 40 to 1? And yep. um, here's my reasoning, and it's really funny and dumb, but he, I think they've been waiting to use him as a thrower. <laughs> oh, <just> wow. <laughs> I mean, one, they've used him a little bit as a wildcat offense guy, you know, like running the ball or whatever, and that makes teams prepare for that. I just am waiting for them to use him as like a wildcat guy or like I an end around guy and I throw a it. touchdown. That's incredible. I love if that he that's throws your a reason. Touchdown, <laughs> I mean, we're, if we're talking long shots, like if he throws a touchdown and catches one, like there's an MVP right there. That's so great. I'm because that takes away a Matt Ryan passing touchdown. All right, exactly. I'm in. All right, bud. Uh, what's your pick? Let's let's hear it. Oh man, I'm going with the Patriots. Just. Uh, I think that they're more balanced. Um, I think that, you know, the Falcons defense has been playing pretty well lately, but I, I think the Patriots match up really well against the Falcons. This is probably the toughest, you know, sort of challenge the Falcons offense has seen in a while. 
Um, and for me, it's just tough to pick against Brady and, and Belichick in the, in the Super Bowl. I just think, I don't know, man. It's a really tough call. And that's, again, that's the beauty of this game. But I'm going with the Patriots. I don't blame you, man. All right, Danny, thank you so much. And that is it. That that is a season long wrap on Danny Kelly. We will be back <laughs> next week probably, but pre Super Bowl, that's all we got. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> thank you. All right, before we get to Mike Lombardi, let's hear from one of our sponsors. No team goes into the season without a game plan. If they did, game day highlights would be nothing more than a football follies compilation. And while follies are hilarious, Buffalo Wild Wings knows fans prefer the taste of glory on game day. The kind of glory that comes with having 21 signature sauces and seasonings to choose from. Or a great lineup of cold and refreshing beers on tap. Or a collection of wall-to-wall flat screens so big it would make your head spin. We cover all those details, so they add up to the kind of game day experience fans can appreciate. And we do it because we appreciate fans. So, win or lose, if you're a fan, you still win at having the best game day atmosphere there is. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. We do it for you because you're a football fan. And it is now my great pleasure to welcome Mike Lombardi to the Ringer NFL show, his debut. Mike, thank you for doing this. No, no thanks. I'm excited to do it. It's really uh, it's, it's a great honor. I'm excited to talk football. It's very fun. This is just a chance for us to take our phone conversations and have them be recorded, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. No, I think it'll be a good thing. <laughs> so what I wanted to chat with you about, you know, we really just nerded out very hard with me and Danny. But with you, I felt like a couple of the interesting things to address were when the Patriots, both the Patriots and the Falcons kind of came in on Sunday night, Monday morning last week. What did they do? What were the first parts of those conversations? When you start to build the game plan, what are the building blocks of it? So I want to start with New England. You know, if you were the Patriots, if you were Bill Belichick last Sunday night and you sat down for the first time, what's the first thing you mentioned? What's the first thing you said? We have to take this away. Well, I, I think that this all started, you know, once they knew they were playing the Falcons, then last week was the study, the prep and the game plan week. The yep. players practiced uh, Saturday, Sunday. I think they went out Thursday. They had Friday off. So the game plan he wanted, he would want the game plan in place before the plane took off for Houston. And then yeah. that game plan is going to be centered on what what they have to do in order to win the game. And the number one thing they're going to have to do is their execution. The thing about Seattle, the thing about Atlanta, they've played Seattle's defense so much, they know it so well. So they understand the scheme completely. It's not, complic- it's not complicated. They're not going to be confused where the players are located. So whenever you play a team that relies so much on their basic scheme, then it's your execution that matters the most. And I think the number one thing for the Patriots offensively is their own execution. Take positive gains, take positive yards, create the right matchups, but make sure your execution is of the highest level. And secondly, you know, they've they fumbled the ball so much that he's been harping on fumbles. So you can't turn the ball over. This is what Atlanta slash Seattle. Remember, the theme in Seattle was all about the ball. The ball is all that matters. That's the same thing in Seattle. It's the same thing in Atlanta. The ball matters. So the Patriots have a tendency to fumble, and I'm sure all week Belichick, the number two thing on his point of emphasis for the offense, has been protect the football. And then three, 
look, you're only going to be able to run 60 or 65 plays in the game. So you can't be like the fat kid at the, at the, at the candy store and want to eat every piece of candy. You've got to figure out what you want to run and just run those plays effectively. Don't practice everything. Practice what you're going to run. And that's one of the strengths of Belichick. What he'll do before each game is he'll understand what plays he's practiced and what he wants to run. The last thing he wants to do is run something that hasn't been rehearsed. So those are the three points offensively. Defensively, the number one thing they can't do is let the ball get thrown over their head. Yeah, Atlanta is a team that wants to make big plays. They lead the NFL in 20-plus plays, so they got to limit the big plays. Like I wrote in the column today, Julio Jones can have as many catches as he wants, but if he doesn't make that one explosive play, then I think that, that that becomes in favor of the Patriots. The other area is they've got to set the edge on both sides. Whenever you play a Shanahan style of offense, the outside zone run play, you've got to be able to handle it. Now, the way they coach it is it's not an, it's called an outside zone, but the first time he sees daylight in the running game, he's going to put his hand, his foot, the back's going to put his foot in the dirt and cut. And you've got to be really good with your lane discipline in terms of your defense. So those two areas. And then the third, I think, is going to be the most critical is you've got to play really good third down red zone defense. And I think that's where this game turns around. Falcons are bad in the red zone. The Patriots have been very effective in the red zone. The four-point plays are going to determine the game. Absolutely, and that's one of the things with Atlanta, that if you're building a weakness, if you're finding a weakness in this offense, it's what happens when they get out of that area of the field. They have some personnel issues. You know, Their line is a good cohesive group, but individually can be exploited. But when you get down where the field is small, you take away what they do best. I asked Dan Quinn last week, I said, if you were defending your offense, what's the thing you'd worry about most? And he says that they use every inch of the field, every blade of grass, both horizontally and vertically. And when you get down when the field shrinks, they can't do that anymore. So really the biggest advantage they have goes away. So you have a strength of the Patriots lining up with a weakness of the Falcons. And I think you're totally right. And if you kick field goals in this game, you're going to lose. Right. I think that anytime you send your punter or your field goal kicker out there, you're a little nervous because you didn't hold serve. This is like the tennis match. You've got to try to hold serve. Both offenses know they have to score. And I think this game is going to be a little bit more aggressive on fourth down. I think if you're Dan Quinn and it's fourth and three and you have a chance to kick a 45-yard field goal or you have a chance to keep the ball and keep moving it, I think you have to weigh that. And I think that's going to be a decision you have to think about all this week you don't make it on Sunday. You make it this week and say, look, we're going to be aggressive on all fourth and three calls outside the 30-yard line. We're going to go for it because we'd rather, we need four, not three. We need seven, not three. Absolutely. You need to have an actual principled approach to the game. You can't have it waver no matter what the game situation is. I totally agree. Right. So, so one of the things I, we, I didn't talk about with Danny because I knew I'd chat about it with you. Just the Julio problem in general and how the Patriots are going to approach it. When you're looking at just the way their personnel is going to be deployed against the Falcons, how do you think they go after Julio, who's used, and what sort of secondary packages do you think we'll see the most? Well, I think it's going to be, you know, look, here's what they have to do. They're going to have help on top on Julio. So whichever corner, and it's going to have to be a fairly sized corner that can handle Julio's quickness inside and also what I think we lose sight of sometimes when we're talking about receivers, it's not only do you have to cover the receiver, you have to tackle the receiver, too. Yeah. And Green Bay learned that. And so what, what clearly has to happen, you have to have a big guy on him that can tackle him and handle his strength. But you need help on top. I could see them putting Malcolm Butler with help on top. I could see them putting Eric Rowe with help on top or Logan Ryan. All three are fairly strong corners. The one thing about the Patriots secondary that, that you like, it's like a basketball team. They have a small forward, they have a power forward, and they have a point guard so they can match up 
pretty much their corners on the receivers because if you just have corners like Seattle that are just big and vertical corners, it's hard to handle the misdirection, the change of direction routes. Yep. So I think they're going to put Rowe on Julio with help on top. I would put I would put Malcolm Butler on Taylor Gabriel, and I would put Logan Ryan on Sanu. Now they know how to play Sanu. Sanu's a receiver that you know wins with strength. He's a long strider. So whenever you play a long striding receiver, what you have to do is you have to kind of walk up to him, pretend you're going to jam him, and then back away. Because what you want him to do, long striders, you want him to change direction. You want yep. him to have to break down. That's not what they do well. I think that's how they'll handle Sanu. And Logan Ryan is just very versatile. I mean, he's and he's also played very well in the playoffs. I feel like he's playing his best football of the year right now. No doubt, he was he he was not very good at the beginning of the season, and it's his contract year. And now I think he's established himself as a really good player. It's interesting. I think that if they do put Rowe on him, doesn't it feel like they'd probably let Logan Ryan guard him when Julio moves into the slot? Because Rowe isn't necessarily flexible enough to handle some of that stuff. Right, and I think that's where they have to walk through all the machinations of it. Rowe could match up on Sanu. Rowe could match up on Julio. I don't think Rowe's a good match on Taylor Gabriel. So I think that's kind of how they have to play it and how they handle it. I don't think they're going to worry about the tight ends as much. I really don't. I think Belichick's probably sitting there saying, look, if Austin Hooper catches, you know, or uh, 80 catches 15, you know, they ca- they're throwing the ball to them, they're not going to beat us. Exactly. You know, the guys that are going to beat us are the guys that are going to make the chunk yards down the field. Gabriel, Julio, and then they got to handle these two backs. And how are they going to match up to these two backs in the passing game is critical. That, that was another thing I wanted to ask you. So I think that uh, you have to make a decision if you're Atlanta. I feel like if you move Coleman out into the slot or out wide and try to use him as a receiver, that's a matchup advantage for you. But it also doesn't allow you to lean on your running game to the degree that they want. So I feel like you have to make a commitment to one of those two things and say, this is more valuable to us. And if they move Coleman out to the slot, what do you? how do you think the Patriots react? I think they'll play a lot of cover, too. I think when, when there's no back in the backfield, you can play a lot more cover, too. Yep. Because basically, you, you're, you're not worried. The weakness of cover, too, is the run game. Green mm-hmm. Bay tried to play a cover, two shell, and dare the Falcons into running the football. And the Falcons ran it effectively. And they try to cheat the run game. They try to pressure it with stunts and stemming. So I think what you'll see is you'll see you'll see the Patriots if they get into an empty formation, they're not going to match up Landon Roberts on Devonte Devonte Freeman or Coleman. They're going to play some zone. They're going to match cover two because with the way this game has to go, Robert, the game has to be won. If you're the Patriots fan, you got to make this game a physical game. It can't be a seven on seven. All those instances where you're talking about the game is going to be how this matches up, how that matches up. That's a seven on seven game that this game has to be dominate against Levitri, dominate against Chester, push the pocket back, win against Schrader, the right tackle, push Jake Matthews back in the pocket, make Matt Ryan have to step up in the pocket where nobody's there. You win against great quarterbacks and a great offense is not with coverage. You win with pressure inside, not sacks pressure. That's the thing. I mean, if you just have Malcolm Brown and, and Alan Branch just say, it doesn't matter. We're just going to dominate you every single play. No quickness, just strength. We're going to collapse those that pocket at every single turn. I think that's the number one move in disrupting the passing game for sure. I feel like we're talking, I totally agree with you with the empty sets, and that really makes you one-dimensional. I also think that's why we might see a lot of both of those guys on the field at the same time putting Coleman out in the slot and letting Freeman be in the backfield to have that run threat while trying to exploit something with Coleman. 
Right, no doubt. And I think you saw that in the Denver game. They they, they yep. were effective in the Denver game utilizing that. But remember, in the Denver game, they scored 24 points. Yeah. If Atlanta scores 24, 24 points in this game, they won't win. <laughs> yeah, it's over. It's over okay? pretty quick. <laughs> they won't win. So, you know, it's it's you have to look at the games to where – and then you watch the Seattle game. You watch the Eagle game. They scored 15. You know, the Eagles played a lot of that style of defense, and they encouraged them to try to run the ball. The Falcons missed a couple throws down the field. I mean, Matt Ryan had Julio wide open a couple times, and the pressure really made it. The timing got got construed and got messed up. So I think, you know, look, there's a lot of games you look at when you watch the Falcons play and say, look, they could have easily, you know, they did this, they did that. But when the games, the games that they didn't score the points that they need to score, in this game they're going to have to get in the 30s, you know, that's the style you have to play. And playing some zone really helps you slow down the pace of the game. Totally. And one of the other things that they're going to play zone, we talk about all the big plays the Falcons have hit. And some of those are the shots to Taylor Gabriel, the play action plays that allow you to really push the ball down the field. But where Atlanta has become really dangerous, you can just look to the Julio play against Green Bay. They're great after the catch. And they'll make, they'll gash you after they take something short. And that's where New England's best. They're number one in the league in average yards after catch per play. They don't let you do that. And I think that if they can tackle well, it's going to go a long way in limiting the Falcons moving it in chunks. Yeah, that that's the critical. If you're playing zone, you got to tackle well. Yep. And you've got to be able to, to to allow the catch, but also get the guy on the ground. And that's where the Patriots have been successful. I mean, that's why they're the number one scoring defense in the league is because they've you've held the ball, you've moved the ball on them, but you haven't been able to make yards after contact. And that's where the Falcons on defense have really been poor. The Falcons are one of the worst teams in the league in yards after the catch on defense. And when you're playing a team like New England who relies on yards after the catch, that's got to concern you. Yeah, and let's talk about that side of the ball because I feel like it's the one that's been overlooked because of how good the Falcons' offense is and what the Patriots have to do to stop it. But I think that side is fascinating as well. And I was talking about it with Danny earlier. If you think that the Falcons are going to line up in that Quinn, Seattle, cover three, layback defense, you're kidding yourself. Uh, I mean, there's no chance they play zone all game and just let Brady pick them apart. So if you're the Patriots and you know that, What's your approach? How do you try to take advantage of a team doing something that maybe it isn't necessarily most comfortable doing? I think if you're Josh McDaniels, you're thinking they're going to play man against you. I know yeah. that's hard to believe, but they've played man against a lot of teams. They've played more man than most people give them credit for. They've been willing to, even though they don't have, even though they don't have Des Trufant, they've been Desmond Trufant. They, they've still been willing to put Jalen Collins out there, Robert Alford out there. They've been willing to put Brian Poole in the slot out there. If this game becomes a man-to-man game. And Brady knows it's a man-to-man game. It'll be a long day for the Falcons, and that's where the challenge for the Falcons is. I mean, look, when you play Seattle, what people don't really understand about the Seattle defense—it's not—it's a cover-three match defense. It's Tampa two, but it's an inverted Tampa two. So the way they play it, the style they play it, it is—it's really—it was a—that's how Tampa two evolved. And there's certain throws in that coverage. The key to that coverage is winning with the front. The key to this coverage with Atlanta is winning with the front. Can Brooks Reed, can Dwight Freeney, can Vic Beasley, can they pressure enough against a really good offensive line? The coverage is going to be in favor of the Patriots. The Patriots are going to exploit it. But can they win? Can Vic Beasley beat Marcus Cannon? Can Brooks Reed beat Nate Solder? Can Dwight Freeney beat Nate Solder? And can Grady Jarrett come inside and play well against Shaq Mason and David Andrews and Joe Tooney? That remains to be seen. And what you'll see, if it becomes a zone game, you'll see, just like in the Super Bowls and the play that time they played them, you'll see the Patriots running 
people across the field and trying to replace a player. When you play a lot of zone and you bring people into the zone, you're going to be a man short because you still have guys covering the other side of the field. I think that's what you'll see. If it's a man-to-man game, I think it's going to be a long day. I totally agree. And it's also because you look at a guy like Jalen Collins, who's more suited to play that typical Quinn style of defense. I think that's why they brought him in. And if you have him on one side and you're doing things like stacking Edelman with another receiver and making a guy like Jalen Collins chase Julian Edelman across the field, you're done. I mean, you, you could say good night because it is not going to go well for you. No, I, I think that's the challenge. You have to be able to, you know, and, and they've been able to get by with it. They played home games. And they've been able to get by with it lately. But the reality of it is, is when you're playing an offense that has more weapons, you know, than, than what Green Bay had. I mean, this is a completely diversified offense. It's different. Green Bay is about plays, players, not plays. New England's about their plays and players working together. And I think that'll be the challenge for Atlanta. They're going to have to win with their front. And if they get to a blitz game, that's not good either because Brady's really effective at the blitz. The key is they're not going to fool Brady at the line of scrimmage. And so if you're not going to fool Brady at the line of scrimmage, then your front's got to win or your coverage has got to hold up. And I think when you look at Atlanta's personnel, I think that's really where you think that the favoring of the game goes towards the Patriots. I agree. And I also think that Atlanta loves using twists and games and stuff up front. They'll use Beasley getting ahead of steam. And the problem with that is, I think the Falcons are like this as well. They're better as a cohesive unit on the offensive line than they are as individual players. So if you use those stunts and you are relying more on lack of communication to get pressure than you are physically dominating those guys, then you're going to be in trouble because New England does such a good job of passing off and being on the same page. You're really losing a half step by doing that stuff and Atlanta's leaned on it so hard I'm not sure they can do it in another way I'm not sure they can consistently bother Brady without that stuff yeah well I think the ball comes out so quick when you run stunts and the ball comes out quick look the way to get Brady is to have four guys pressure and play instantly coverage behind them instantly but if you don't win instantly and I think Shaq Mason and I think Marcus Cannon have played I mean Shaq Mason to me is going to be a pro bowl guard I think David Andrews had trouble with Whitney Marcellus over when he lined up over him with quickness, but typically those are hard guys to find. I mean, when you saw what Houston did, they had really four really dominant. They had dominant defensive linemen that got pressure on Brady. That became a problem. That's not going to be the case here. I think they'll handle this defensive front, and if they do, if they don't, then Atlanta has a huge favor. I would like to see if I'm Atlanta. Vic Beasley lineup all over the place. I think if you just put him over Cannon the entire game and say, go try to eat big man, that's not going to happen. You need to use him in a way that's a little bit more creative. Blitz him, drop somebody else, only bring four, but make sure those four are coming from different directions. Because like you said, if Brady knows where it's coming from, it's over. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think Brady is, is, you know, the key to the game for Brady is always the pre-snap read. He never wants to run a bad play. Like the the past the first the first series of the game against uh, against Pittsburgh when he you know he yelled out uh, I think he yelled out Jordan Jordan you heard the call well that was a trigger they saw the coverage they hit the seam down the throw they hit the throw down the field and they made it made a connection so you know that's where I think Atlanta is not going to fool them Atlanta doesn't try to fool you that's the other conception here Atlanta is not trying to fool you with their defensive scheme they're trying to play fast they're trying to play hard and they're going to try to strip the football. That's yep. what they're going to do, and they want to win with their front. 
they needed to, they need a turnover too. They have relied on it so much defensively, and that's where I'll be curious to see. And this is the other thing we kind of end on this: is it too simple for me to just think that the Patriots want to go heavy and beat them up when they can? Because I just think they'll be able to rip off five or six a carry if they go with those big sets. With I don't know who the, what's the backup tight end's name. Like I always forget. Oh, Langle. Matt Langle. Matt Langle. Oh, they'll put Cam Fleming. They'll put Cam Fleming if they go heavy. They'll put Cam Fleming in the game and they'll line him up beside it. You'll see, you'll see a little bit of everything. I mean, you'll see a little bit of that. I think you'll see a little bit of uh, of of, of uh, spread. And I think, to me, the key to the game is to get control of the game on how you want to do it. They're not going to be as worried about locking them into formation into personnel because, you know, like with Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh runs essentially Pittsburgh runs essential a five-two defense. So that's a high school defense where the two outside linebackers are really not good in space. Yeah. So when you lock them into their thirty-four, we call it a thirty-four, but in high school it was a five-two because those are five down linemen. That's when New England took advantage of them. They spread them out of the five-two, made them play in space, and all of a sudden there was huge gaps in the zones. Atlanta's not going to be in that situation very much. They're either going to be a nickel or base. It's not going to be that complicated. And so, so they don't have to lock them in, but they do want to do this, Robert. They want to tire them out. The one thing you want to do when a team doesn't have great depth in their defensive line, you want to play faster, you want to get them tired. So at the fourth quarter, when you need to run the ball, they're tired. Or in the fourth quarter, if you need to catch up, you can throw it. That's what happened in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is a hard game to play because we couldn't really move the ball in the game until they got tired on defense. And that's where you have to play some pace and some speed it up. And that's the thing with Atlanta is they don't have a lot of bodies they want to throw out there on the defensive line. They, they, there's no, not a huge pool of guys to draw from. No, their depth on defense is not great. All right. I, we've gotten to this point. What do you think is going to happen? You know, I think it's. I think I like. I like the Patriots thirty-four twenty-four. I think it'll be a really good game. I think it'll be a, a good game back and forth. But I think eventually the Patriots are going to get control of the game. Anytime the Patriots have played a team that has been a predominantly an offensive team, like whether it's the Peyton Manning offense or the Andrew Lux or those teams, they've always found a way to have enough defense to win, but they always have enough offense. And I think yeah. in this game, when you look at it, with the recipe to beat the Patriots is typically have a great defense and a defensive line. And that's where I don't see the Falcons. I mean, I think the Falcons have done a tremendous job getting to the Super Bowl. I, I think they've been had a great season, but I just don't know if they have enough in their defensive front to win. And it, they're going to have to rely on the turning the ball over, which is something I don't see the Patriots doing. I think the Patriots will get control of the game in the third quarter, and I think they'll win by 10. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I, I kind of... In, in something you're deep in my soul, I I, I kind of believe that that's going to be the the tone of it and the pace of it as well. But I've been picking the Falcons for a couple of weeks. I just watching this offense and all season. I think this is the exception. We haven't seen an offense like this win the Super Bowl in a long, long time. It's always been the defenses. Think about the thirteen Broncos, the, even the even the 2011 Patriots. It hasn't gone this way, and I don't know. I think it does. I picked Atlanta 31-28 two weeks ago, and I'm sticking with it. I may look like an idiot, but at least I'm principled. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you have to have, look. Look, this game's going to come down to what we just talked. We talked about four point plays and turning the ball over. Both teams are going to move the ball early in the game. Both teams are going to be effective with that. But I think you know it, it, when you're at this level, it's about those critical situations. The third and ones are so important. I mean, look, Pittsburgh on the first third and one, they throw a nine route, the incomplete. Patriots get the ball back. Those are the kind of situations you can't. Those mistakes you can't make in these kind of games. You got to convert the third and shorts. 
and you've got to be able to get off the field in the red zone. And I think that's what's going to determine the game. I just think the Patriots are more experienced. I'm not going to go against Brady when it comes to the situation. Uh, I don't blame you. Mike, thank you for doing this. This was really fun and the first of many. Thanks, Robert. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right, guys, uh, we'll be back on Friday with a little bit of a different show, but that is it from the Ringer NFL crew this week. We'll have some other guests on, some other voices, but thank you very much. Thank you to Danny. Thank you to Mike. And one more show before the big game. Let's go. Let's go.